Hello and welcome to a new study that we're beginning today on the pastoral letters. And you might be saying, what is a pastoral letter? Well, we know that the New Testament is comprised of a lot of writings, mostly letters written from authors to different audiences, whether it be a group of people in one place or an individual. But we have three of them that fall into this strange category because whereas Paul's letters are generally to a church group or to a group of Christians in a geographic location, uh, the pastoral letters, which are purportedly authored by Paul, are to individuals, and they are dealing with more detailed issues, it seems, of church organization and operation. Uh, and so we have to figure out what does that mean for us and where does that fit? But First and Second Timothy, as well as Titus, make up what are known as the pastoral letters um, that we'll be studying over these next several weeks together. And we'll look at some common themes and we'll look at some ideas, but let, let's, let's learn a little background today and try to understand the context in which these are written. And we'll give some background for both the Timothy letters and the Titus letter. Now, the first thing we need to understand is that these letters uh, are the subject of some debate as to who wrote them, as is really the case with a great deal of scripture, although tradition tells us so-and-so wrote this and so-and-so wrote that. The fact of the matter is there's actually still some debate on quite a bit of scripture as to who wrote it, particularly with a lot of Paul's letters. Paul was a prolific writer of the time. We have some of the things he wrote, though there's some that he wrote that we don't have. Uh, but we also find that as these things are preserved and copied and, and passed along, that other people add to them. Uh, there were plenty of people that would write in the style of someone that they admired uh, and, and would put their name on it. That was not considered in the time and in the culture to be unethical. Now, today, if I were to write a book and I were to sign John Grisham's name to that manuscript and get it published, I could be sued uh, because that's not my name. And, but it is the name of a, a famous author uh, who, who's done quite well for himself. Uh, kid from Northeast Arkansas, I might add. Uh, my, my, my part of the country. Um, but I couldn't do that because that's considered illegal, unethical, immoral. It was done all the time until relatively recently in human history when we started drawing some lines about things like copyright and intellectual property. But all that to say, there's some gray area here about if Paul wrote this or not. It certainly seems to be Paul. The recipient of these letters would be people associated with Paul. Um, although the tone is different. The vocabulary is different. Some of the theological points that he makes are different. And so I certainly understand why there is some speculation and some doubt about the authorship. However, I also understand that there, there are degrees of truth to the Pauline authorship of these letters because Paul did go to Ephesus. He spent a couple of years in Ephesus trying to build the church there. And he did have a very close uh, companion named Timothy, who was also in Ephesus. Um, this fits into the chronology of the latter part of the book of Acts pretty well. Um, and although the tone of the vocabulary and uh, some of the timing um, that, that scholars have placed on these letters can be troublesome and disruptive to the idea of Pauline authorship, whether or not Paul wrote it, uh, I put my faith in, in the providence of God to get me the things I need to know Jesus. And we will look at 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus 
with Jesus in mind, because that's the purpose of all of this, is to see Jesus. And so understanding the historical context, really it doesn't matter who wrote it, because if we understand the historical context and we understand the purpose of the writing, then I think we can understand what we need to learn from it. It's when you when you start getting into, and this is true in, in certain corners of Christianity, if you start placing value on words that were written by one particular person, then it does give you trouble. I don't think that the words of Paul are holy because they're Paul's words. And so if I run across something that says it's from Paul, but in reality it wasn't, um, that doesn't give me any trouble. I trust in God. I trust that I have the word I need. I do know that these words are trustworthy, that they've been handed down through the centuries, and that the manuscripts and all the evidence we have suggest that they are accurate. Um, the authorship of it, there's a lot of gray area on authorship throughout Scripture. So we're not going to worry about that part. We're going to trust in God here, and we're going to allow him to open our minds and learn what we need to learn from First and Second Timothy and Titus, because they are very rich with things to help us understand. Now, one common mistake that is made is that people say, well, these are pastoral letters. They're instructions to pastors, instructions to elders and ministers, and, and, and mm, I don't know. They're not really a church manual. Some people look at them as a church handbook or a church manual because there is a lot of instruction given. But to do that outside of the context in which they're written will lead you down a path that is probably not the way the author intended it to go. Um, we are going to talk about uh, elders and overseers, shepherds of, of churches. We are going to talk about pastors or, or teachers. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the different roles of the different genders in, in, our, in a church setting uh, and how our tradition has, has led us one direction and what the author says uh, and where we draw some of that tradition from. And we'll analyze that and wrestle with it a little bit. And that'll be a lot of fun, I hope. Uh, but Let's talk about Paul and his relationship with Timothy. Uh, you can read in the book of Acts, Paul meets this young man, Timothy. He was raised in a mixed home, Jew and Gentile, Jewish mother, Gentile father. So he has the name Timothy, but his mother and his grandmother, their names were Lois and Eunice, great old lady names, by the way. Uh, Lois and Eunice uh, taught him uh, the word. They taught him the law. They taught him uh, and he learned of Jesus, and he heard Paul speak, and he followed after Paul, and he was dedicated uh, to preaching the gospel. And he was a longtime companion, and it seems to be that there was a very close relationship between Paul and Timothy. He refers to him as his son in the faith. You can tell there's a great deal of love and affection that Paul has toward Timothy. He longs to see him uh, because they're separated at the time the, the letter is written. We can go to Acts chapter 19, we can go to Acts chapter 20, uh, and we can see the story of Paul's travels in Ephesus. Now, he's on a missionary journey. He starts in Antioch. Um, he, he goes from there as far away as Corinth, and then turns around and comes back to Jerusalem. Uh, but he goes through Ephesus in the meantime. Uh, and so he goes through Ephesus, and he finds some Christians there, um, some, some uh, disciples of the Lord. And he begins preaching there, and he spends a few months preaching in the synagogue, and then some people come into the synagogue that are, um, are not friends to the church, and they begin speaking ill of, of Christians. So he goes to another location and starts preaching there. He spends two years in Ephesus trying to spread the gospel with constant opposition, and that's going to be a theme in these two letters, the opposition to the gospel. What's going on in Ephesus? It's a difficult place to do evangelism. It's a hard place because there's so 
It's a very um, cosmopolitan city. There are different religious groups that are perverting Christianity and using it for their own purposes. And we understand what that is. We see that all the time. Um, and you can go to different ends of the spectrum and you can see that. You've probably seen preachers on TV. Now, I don't judge anyone's motives, and I try to be cautious here because uh, take everyone at face value, and maybe that's naive of me, but it is really hard sometimes to get over and get past some of the lifestyle evidence that we see in some of these big-name pre megachurch preachers today um, and what they're teaching. Uh, and we see in the news. I mean, it makes, it makes a splash whenever an investigative journalist uh, finds so-and-so uh, on their private jet, you know, or on their private yacht, and yet they're supposed to be a minister, uh, and they're supposed to be a preacher, and they have this church. Well, the, the gospel can be perverted for personal gain, and there are preachers that essentially are self-help authors, but that are wrapping it in Jesus and selling it as religion, and they're profiting off of it. That would be something similar to what Paul faced in Ephesus uh, in the opposition. You also had in Ephesus groups of people. Uh, there was a group that was, and this is important to remember, that was um, primarily led by women. Um, and that again, that comes into play later. That made uh, sexual immorality a major part of their worship. Uh, this is true. Uh, th this has been true throughout history, actually, that people will take religious practices and symbols and integrate them into a sexually immoral and exploitive lifestyle uh, and sell that as religion. You want to you come near to God? You want to be uh, commune with the Spirit? Uh, then we're going to engage in this act, and that's how we'll do it. Um, so people were preaching the name of Jesus, and they were teaching God, the Father and the Son, uh, but they were doing it for their own purpose, and they were perverting it in, in different ways in terms of the practice uh, and the expression of that faith. This is all going on in Ephesus, and Paul's facing constant opposition. In Acts chapter 20, verse 26, Paul is getting ready to depart Ephesus, and he is leaving the elders. This is These are the church leaders. Again, we think of elder as an office of the church, um, and there's some instruction given about how to appoint them. However, however, it's not an office. We shouldn't think of it that way. We must be careful because then we, we appoint business managers instead of shepherds. We'll talk more about that when we get to, to uh, chapter 3 in 1 Timothy. So verse 26 of Acts 20. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you, you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Okay, Paul is departing, and his departing message is, I think you guys are in trouble. Have you ever had a situation like that where you'd done what was asked of you to the best of your ability, and you just knew when you step away, it's going to fall apart? Maybe you've had a job like that, you were leaving, and you knew that that was going to 
change the dynamic of that workplace or that business. Um, Paul's leaving and he's saying, you know, this was arduous. This was hard. And I know that people are going to take advantage of the fact when I leave, try to influence you and trip you up. His prediction comes true. And we have 1 Timothy to demonstrate that. Okay, His prediction comes true. And that's why 1 Timothy is entirely consistent with his prediction. That there's going to be people come up. They're going to try to lead you away. They're going to try to twist you up. They're going to try to, to pervert the Christian way of life. Uh, and again, when we read 1 Timothy, you're going to say, well, this looks like some a, a church manual, some instruction for how church ought to be organized and operated. Yes, but we are reading someone else's mail, okay? The 1 Timothy was written uh, for us, but it wasn't written to us. We're, we're reading the mail that Paul wrote to Timothy, so we've got to understand the context. Yes, there's some instruction there to Timothy about how to get the Christians back on the right track in terms of their practice, in terms of their leadership, and, and those kinds of things. But we need to be wise and pray for wisdom to discern the message that God wants us to receive from First and Second Timothy and Titus. We will begin in the next lesson the text of First Timothy. And we'll begin weeding through in the context of a church that is in trouble, a church in crisis, because outside forces are trying to destroy it from within. We'll talk about that next time. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you then.